and then kind of moved around a lot. But I played a little bit of center um, really? way back in the day. Yeah, I, I was I grew fast, so I'm not a huge guy now, but I was big for my for my age at the time. So I played center for a little while and then I played uh, defensive end for a little while. Nice. How tall are you? I'm six one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I get that. I was so, most of that by that time. So what, had, what age was that? This was in middle school and then in ninth grade. Yeah. So about seventh through ninth grade, I was, uh, I was probably like five ten, five eleven by then. So decent size for that. Um, and pretty filled out, but then I kind of stayed mostly the same size. Kindred spirits, dude. I was six, two in eighth grade at 14. Wow. Um, so. How tall are you now? Six two. What a disappointment for all my coaches. <laughs> you were like, man, I'm sprouting up here. I got a long ways to go. Dude, I was so excited. I thought I was at least gonna make six four or so, but nope. Just an overachiever. And, yeah, you know that that's the that's the challenge of that. Uh, for anybody who's listening in, is I was given this gift of height, and I let it get to my ego. Um, you know, so I ended up. Uh, slowing down a little bit and saying, you know what, I got the advantage. Um, not what you want to do if you want to stay ahead um, or if you want to sell your business either. Uh, what are what are three of the, the most common mistakes that you see entrepreneurs make? Maybe not most common, most overlooked mistakes they make when they're getting ready to, to sell their business. The number one is what I call owner concentration. And that's a fancy way of saying being way too involved in your business as the owner. So the businesses that sell for the most money are the ones where the owner is least involved in the day to day. And I like to describe this as the the vacation to Italy test. If you can't go on a two week vacation to Italy and just forget about your business and come back to it, then it's not set up as well as it could be. And not to say it can't sell, if you aren't a little bit involved, but it won't sell for as much money because the more involvement that's needed by a new owner, the more the price of the business, the more the price of the business is going to be discounted. Uh, another huge one that people don't think about very often is customer concentration. Um, so customer concentration just means having too much focus on one or a few customers. So if a large portion of your business is yep. coming from just a few people, few customers or a few customer types, depending on the business, then that's risky to a buyer. So that's something that is going to kind of scare them off and make them feel like it's not something they can rely on. And then another huge thing would just be the actual acquisition. All right. Welcome in to Vision Pros Live with Jackson Callum. I'm your show host. We will be doing interviews for visionary entrepreneurs and guest leaders who are building fantastic visions out there. Hey, and what's up? Welcome in to another episode of Vision Pros Live. I'm your show host, Jackson Callum, founder and CEO of First Class Business. I got Brody Vinson joining us today from scale to for sale, making sure that you're scaling your companies in order to, with the mindset of knowing that someday you want to have that opportunity to potentially sell it. Um, and I love that he, he begins with that end process in mind. Um, I got to know him through a, uh, a mutual acquaintance. And in that process of, of getting to know, I went and watched some of his videos on YouTube. I was like, wow, this guy is sharp. 
he has some serious experience at such a young age because he's he's used his life skills well as time well. Now, one of the things that uh, one of the challenges I faced when I was a 22 year old consultant that was also a junior co-founder, I was junior co-founder by 23, um, was people would say, Jackson, like, why should we work with you? You know, there's these consultants who are older. Uh, you know, how do you know you're better than them? And the challenge I faced with that was explaining, well, the one, number one, I don't know. Um, you know, you'd have to put us both in the same room and see how we interact with your brand. Um, but what I will share is that I would rather fly in a plane with somebody who's 22 years old and has already logged 10,000 hours of flight time than somebody who's 46 years old has 10,000 hours of flight, but over 20 years, that would be scary. Uh, what if they hadn't flown the plane for five years? Um, right. So it's all about understanding how have we used our time, not how old we are. Um, not that, not that he needs condition of that at this stage, but don't underestimate the people who might be able to service your business. You might be surprised if you don't judge a book by its cover. That said, you'll probably like the cover too. Before we go into bringing Brody on stage though, let's talk about these sponsors up here. Laidback Languages with Patrick Creighton. If you're in a position to want to learn a foreign language, and by the way, the, the demographics of the United States, if you're US business, um, are screaming uh, Spanish. Um, you may want to brush up on your Spanish. What I love about the way that Patrick goes about his training is he understands the principles that I use to learn that language myself. Um, and I, I picked up Spanish. I was fluent in about four and a half months. I did not know that until I'd been in Uruguay for 18 months, at which point I realized like, wow, like, okay, no, I am more fluent than I thought. I won't reveal the secret on that because I want to stay focused on Brody's opportunity. But if you're in a position where you want to learn a language the right way, I have seen Patrick practice the same types of principles and his teaching methods and how he helps people that I practice to learn myself. Then there's Detail Publishing up there. So if you're in the process of writing a book, Ashley from Detail Publishing is one of the best R&D people I've ever met. She's also one of the most talented and gifted entrepreneurs I've worked with. A She has a process called a manuscript review that ultimately in my, my terms, I would say that makes sure your book doesn't fall on its face. Um, too many, too many authors go to publish and they end up with one to five reviews on their, on their Amazon. They claim bestseller status and you're like, you're a bestseller, but you have less than a hundred reviews like that. It just doesn't look good. You want to make sure to launch that process well so that it does well on the market. And part of that includes making sure you have a great execution, marketing, publishing strategy, the whole nine yards. It is an expensive process to launch books. I mean, you, you I would not want to do a book launch. Um, I would not want to hire somebody who's doing that at less than $15,000 because you want to account for the audio. You want to account for the quality of the process. You want to make sure that you're looking at the experience from beginning to end, not cutting corners. At least that's, I wouldn't cut quarters on my legacy. Um, then last but not least is the water project. The water project is what we give back to. Um, we're really big fans of promoting it. If you have another social cause, don't hesitate to drop it in the comments though. The reason why I choose the water project, because there's millions of people on earth who don't have access to clean drinking water, which is something that I get to take for granted every day, but I choose not to. Um, I remember that there are communities I want to remember and make sure that I'm involved in this. Uh, if you're in a position to give back, awesome. If COVID economics have, have hurt you um, and, and your family, but you're in a position to share, that would be my request is just share this experience with others because you may end up being the catalyst to find somebody who can fund one of these communities and seeing those kids right there on the screen that we just saw celebrating water as though it's Christmas Day, uh, I hope it touches your heart. Um, so again, there's 8 billion people in the world to help. If you know of a project that you'd like us to talk about, don't hesitate to drop that link 
we're happy to mention it um, in future episodes if it also aligns with with uh, our heart and mind. So with that said, Brody, thank you so much for being on the show, man. This is, this is going to be great. Thanks so much for having me, Jackson. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, you, you, at 27, you've already got this experience of selling businesses. Um, and it sounds like you, you came about it, you know, having, you went through the experience of selling businesses and you ran into a few red flags or traps or situations that, uh, had you had a mentor on the front, had you had assist like a, a go-to company, you might've been able to not stumble into. Can you just walk us through some of those sales experiences from the get-go? Sure. Uh, the biggest thing I could say is the thing that I talk to my clients about is that don't get me wrong. There's a lot of great business buyers out there. I had a great conversation with one just the other week that I've got a coming video on that really focuses on finding a win-win for anyone who sells their business to her. But there's also buyers out there that are just trying to get the best deal possible. And so I wouldn't necessarily recommend just taking a, the first buyer that comes to you. I would talk to a number of different buyers just to kind of see where different people find different value in your business. Um, we made the mistake that I just talked about. So we ended up going with the first buyer that came to us. Mm. And in reality, I think that we probably could have stayed in the business a good bit longer and gotten more value or even sold it for more. The other thing is just not having someone to help us navigate the process. And that's really why I got into what I do now is it was a completely new thing for us. We didn't even know what a, a letter of intent or an LOI was, which for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what that is, it's essentially just a conditional agreement to buy a business for a set price and set of terms contingent on the, the business being what you said it was. So we didn't even know what a letter of intent was, had never sold really a business in this form and fashion before. Um, I had done one kind of privately to an employee before that went a lot less officially than this. And so not having someone to walk us through what we were going to expect opened us up to a lot of just being hit with curveballs and a lot of things that we didn't know what, what were going to happen next. So being open to that left us all these opportunities to lose value that we would have otherwise retained if we were able to stay confident, present our business in the best light and kind of maintain that negotiating power. So a lot of what big mergers and acquisitions firms, business brokers or other kind of business selling facilities do is really just help represent the seller in the best light. So that's a huge mistake that we made and really got me into this is I realized that there's so many people selling a business for the first time. It's something that very few people ever do in their lifetime. And of the ones that do, they it's likely they'll only do it once. So because of that, it's something where you could easily get taken advantage of or miss out on value that you could have had otherwise. So essentially, that's just sent me into a little bit of a self-discovery journey of figuring out what I could have done better, what I should have done better, what I could help other sellers do better in the future that might not have had that same guidance. Wow. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of self-awareness, but also a lot of world awareness um, and, and that reality. And uh, I, I wish at 27, I had already been thinking about these same concepts. I wasn't, I wasn't considering that, um, you know, and, and with the baby boomers, for instance, that generation right now, 
Uh, a lot of them are in a position where they, they want to retire and they're facing this um, perhaps with more haste, um, you know, need like they, they had a sense of urgency um, that some of the younger individuals um, don't have to worry about so much. But one of the things that I loved about your messaging um, was you kind of you, you, one of the messages I saw about you said like, you know, I'm I'm fairly new to this. Um, like you weren't claiming to be the venture capitalist, Richard Branson of the world who's going to like, I'm going to do everything perfectly. And I'm your guru. You know, you really, you really took that. I'm not your guru line by Tony Robbins and applied it to your approach. And that's what made me say like, wow, this guy's got a strength to him, um, you know, of, of, of reality. Maybe some people call it certainty. I would call it a strength of reality that tells me, you're probably going to explore things um, differently than somebody who, you know, is pointed and like, I know exactly what you should do. I know how you should do it. You know, like they're already, they're like off to the races before we find out what you want. How did you get that? How did you get that sense of, of poise of um, being willing to evaluate perspectives that aren't your own? It's a great question. And I'll get to a little bit of a recommendation for maybe some early on entrepreneurs that might be in a position even remotely similar to the one I'm in now where I'm consulting with, in many cases, people with a lot more business experience than me, but just on a particular area that they might not know about. And one of the core founding principles of scale for sale is humility for this reason. It's just staying open to those that new feedback, new experience. And when I first started it, that wasn't one of the core principles. And I learned very quickly that it needed to be because I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder from the imposter syndrome of being in this new position where I'm this young guy. I was 26 at the time, not even 27. 26 at the time and dealing with all clients that were a good bit older than me. Um, and I dealt with imposter syndrome in other positions before. But for whatever reason, I just had this chip on my shoulder and I felt like I needed to project a bigger version of myself than I actually was in order to kind of impress them or make them feel like I had all the answers. And then that didn't work at all. I, I couldn't get clients. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't really grow my business at all with that attitude. And for whatever reason, I kind of ended up realizing, I think I'm going about this all wrong and I need to just be totally transparent Another core principle now of scale for sale is transparency. I realized I needed to just be as transparent as possible and just say, focus more on, hey, here's what I did wrong. And here's why I went on this self-discovery journey to learn all these things. Here's what I think I might have done right. And here's what I've learned along the way. And that ended up resonating with potential clients way more. And some of them now work with me. Some of them are kind of learning from me may end up working with me in the future. And I've just realized that being totally transparent in that way has brought me more success than not being so in the past. Yeah, that's a huge discovery. Um, it, it remind. I'm trying to think there's so many great stories of people who, who went through that, um, discovery. I mean, talk, I'm talking about elite leaders who, uh, had that, that hit in the face. Um, you know, man, I, I need to make this adjustment. And it's sometimes hard to realize that there's a massive opportunity to get onto that train right then and there. Um, you know, while, while that's happening, um, you know, while, while the world often judges and says, oh, that person can't change, um, or that person won't make these adjustments, um, your, your speech patterns don't, um, they don't represent somebody who 
realizes they need to make that change, but is slow to pick up the pieces and, and put it together. How the heck have you, I'm going to just throw it out there, man. Your, your humility is strong. How did you pull it together so fast? I think I've just had a really good, I've been lucky enough to have really good role models in my life. Uh, even though he's not personally in my life, a huge kind of unofficial mentor of mine has been a guy by the name of Alex Hormozy. Mm -hmm. For anyone in the audience who's not familiar, yeah. which is fewer and fewer of the population by the day, <laughs> right. um, highly recommend that guy. He he has he manages hundreds of millions of dollars and is one of the most humble guys you could ever hear talk. And so I think I've just kind of picked up on the qualities of some of these people that I would like to be like and that I would like to emulate um, in certain ways along the way. And another thing that he says is intelligence is speed of learning and learning is hearing something and then actually changing your action. And the first time that I heard that, I really took that to heart and realized, you know what, there's so many things that I've been told so many times that I haven't let change my actions. And I tried to focus on changing my actions for the better when I did hear something. And that's been a little bit of a help for me. That's huge, man. And so anybody who's ever heard Gary Vaynerchuk or anybody in life talk about your circle of five or your circle of 10, that inner circle that can advise you, what I hear Brody talking about openly is that that inner circle may not even be one that you have a direct connection to. And I've seen that to be the, the case again with most of the leaders that I interview. They're, they're, they're willing to buy into concepts and understand that they're not limited by their, their physical environments thanks to the internet and thanks to the resources. So I'm not saying abandon everybody around you, but for those of you who are visionaries, who find the people around you in your life strangle your vision or suffocate you and what it is that you want, um, while it would be easy to say like, man, I, I don't have friends in my life who you know, are supporting me or giving me that guidance, you have YouTube, um, you know, you have podcasts, you have amazing resources like Alex, uh, whose book hundred million dollar offer is awesome. Um, it also had a big impact on how I established my brands. Um, I was gifted a little bit of an inner circle experience with that in that he writes about a newspaper startup that was driving digital revenue streams. That was my first startup. I was part of that company. I was the first sales rep hired for them. Um, so I'm reading this book and seeing, you know, my story in essence be published about Lloyd. And I'm like, Whoa, this is crazy. It's like, what a small world um, and, and coincidence. And there's other things to learn about that beyond it. But let's dive right back into your vision. So what is your vision? Um, what's the outcome look like for those that you serve? What do you want to see them accomplish other than Ferraris and islands and, you know, what everybody dreams about? With their, yeah. when they're selling a business and they're like, oh my gosh, I can be a multi-multi-trillionaire. Well, my, I'll start with my mission because it feeds into it. My mission very simply is to empower business owners to sell for more because I saw that there's a lot of them that are on a track where they're not going to be able to sell for the amount that they would like to. There's a little bit of a mismatch there. And so my vision is to impact as many business owners whether indirectly or directly as humanly possible. I'd like to impact whether it's just a single impression on Instagram that helps influence them one degree closer to selling for more. I'd like to influ I'd like to influence at least 500,000 business owners this year 
uh, into that positive direction because in this self-discovery journey, I am fully bought in on the mindset of building to sell, equaling more growth, more opportunity, better business practices. And ultimately that that pot of gold that you mentioned at the end of the rainbow, which is a big sum of money that creates freedom. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are after freedom, whether that be freedom through money, through time, whatever that looks like for them. And I've seen very small glimpses, albeit, but little glimpses of what that can do through transfer of wealth that happens after selling a business. And I want as many other entrepreneurs to be able to achieve that as possible. A lot of entrepreneurs end up getting trapped into the same type of nine to five, except the the nine is like 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. sometimes trap that they're trying to escape in the first place. Um, and ultimately just working even more than they wanted to in pursuit of that freedom. And I think that that shouldn't be the case. And it just comes down to kind of a, a lack of knowledge or lack of exposure to some of these concepts that I hope to get out there. Yeah, very good. Um, you know, and I, I would call it for me, we can on freedom of choice for entrepreneurs, um, right? The ability to choose without the external pressures, um, you know, and a lot of that just has to do with mindset. But some of that also does um, have to do with setting up your circumstances so that you're you're capable of doing it. Um, what's your vision for yourself? My vision for myself is to become the best, most knowledgeable version of myself that I'm capable of getting myself to. I really think that I really buy into another vision for all entrepreneurs, which is that self-growth equals business growth. And so in this pursuit of teaching others how to build to sell, I'd like to be kind of a beacon and an example of doing that myself. And so I really try to pour into as much new knowledge, education, personal growth in as many areas of my life as possible, because I believe that, and I've seen in the past that that equals business growth and new new heights for my business. So my vision for myself is just becoming the best, most knowledgeable version of myself that I can be, that I can achieve while I'm on this planet. I love it. What's your, uh, what's your worst leadership experience ever? This can be yours. This can be, uh, somebody else. This could be a movie you've seen, um, you know, where the audience, right. It's all about like, what's going to guide them towards maybe not doing that or seeing the flip side. My, so my worst leadership experience, the worst leadership experience I've seen, and this was a previous associate that I was partnered with for a short time. And we, long story short, we were in a room full of about maybe 30 or so people that were working on a contract for us. And this guy had gotten really frustrated by just the, the lack of growth in certain areas and the struggle of not being able to pay ourselves early on and needing to kind of fuel back into the business. And so he got up in front of this group of 30 people, just frustrated, not thinking about them, but thinking about himself. And he complained about not being able to pay ourselves as owners. And in that moment, I just knew we lost these people. This That's not what leadership is. And that's not what 
being a visionary is. And that taught me a really important lesson, actually, which is that I think that leaders deflect credit and accept blame. So what I mean by that is the best leaders, Mm -hmm. if something goes right, they they give that credit to other people. And if something goes wrong, they take that blame for themselves and internalize that. And that brings growth, but it also makes you the type of person that someone would want to aspire to be towards. And I was frustrated for those same reasons that he was, and that very easily could have been me up there and complaining. But just something about hearing it third hand and the way that it came off really taught me that lesson. Nice, man. I was I was a slow, slow learner with these concepts. I was gifted the seeds early on thanks to sports. That's why I was asking about sports in the beginning. It's one of my it's one of the ways that I know who's a team player um, and understands team concepts um, and strategy, um, you know, and overcoming conflict and all that. It, it matters a lot. And then FIFA soccer, FIFA, it was, uh, I don't know, 2000. I think it was like 2003 or 2001 edition. I was playing that game and you were the, you were the manager for the the team that you're playing. And, and it, at the end of the seasons or the integrate games, it would, you'd read the description of what the coach would say to the reporters about the team. Oh, this is all a team game. It's not us. You know, it's my team. Uh, I saw that pattern over and over in that game. And I see it in sports interviews afterwards. And it took me a long time to realize, Oh, I should, I should do that. That's that's how that's how championship level organizations win. It's it's no surprise to me that not only is entertainment that drives it, but sports industries because of their championship level behaviors drives insane amounts of profits. Um, so I would say it validates what you said very much. Watch any sports interviews um, after games and see what see what the players say about their teammates and beyond, and you can usually see the strength of the organization or the fracturing that's occurring. I totally agree. I had a thought actually just yesterday or the day before about sports because I've always been really big on listening to high level athletes like in any interviews that they do, which many times they don't have a lot of time to do interviews. But I remember I caught one of Kobe Bryant's last interviews with with uh, Patrick Bet David not too long ago, and it was fantastic. And I had this thought about that particular interview um, shortly after watching it, which is that I think we're very lucky in the sense that sports tend to be so highly publicized because like you said, there's so much to be learned from those team dynamics and also the leadership of, you know, someone like a, like a Nick Saban or like an Andy Reid. Um, again, going back to the football world, yes. being able to consistently lead these championship teams to victory through game after game after game and through these difficult times. There's yep. so many things to be able to be learned from those. And so I really like to pay attention to sports interviews, high level things. Um, the the little, ha- I think it's really about picking up on these little habits that these people do that are achievable for you. Little things that you can actually grasp and take hold of at that time. Because I mean, you or me could probably listen to an interview from Jeff Bezos and he could say all these things that he does. A lot of it's not going to resonate with us because he's so far removed. But I think listening to and trying to emulate little parts of something that someone's done in their past that has allowed them to be successful and figuring out when you're at the right point to try those things and to bring those things into your life. 
think it's all about collecting a bunch of those and knowing when to implement them. You bring up an excellent point about the Jeff Bezos concept. And it's one that, that, uh, I mean, I'm sad at how many people accidentally do want to relate to the reality of the, the messaging that's shared and they lose the context. Here's what I mean by that. If Bill Gates tells me today, Hey Jackson, um, I just found this new cool system called threads and it's crushed it for my business. And I go into that mindset saying, Oh, if I just do what Bill did, um, I'll have the same results. I'm not Bill Gates. It ain't going to happen for me the same way that it happened for him. There's too many variables that we, that we often don't associate with in those scenarios, but to double down on that, the other challenge, while I, I, I do, I mean, I love everybody. I really strive to make sure that that's my mindset, but whether it's Tony Robbins or Elon Musk or Grant Cardone, whose programs I do not love, um, but as a person, right, as a human being, he does have his virtues that I try to, to respect. However, none of those business names in the private environment have a track record that is public enough for me to say, hmm, I should follow that formula. It's too privately held. On the, on the sports side, though, where we have the win-loss records and we can see who's winning, who's losing, how are they winning, what contracts are they set? We're so fascinated as a society by by how the operations go that we almost have complete transparency around how those organizations build. So I don't, I don't look at other business coaches and say, Oh yeah, he's, you know, he's amazing. And he should No, I don't know if he shared everything or not. He might be holding his best ingredients back. And so uh, I always take the information that comes in with a grain of salt. I hope people do the same with what I share. Um, you know, it's, I have a privately held company. Um, and so I'll get off my soapbox on that. Let's go into a new territory. What's your best leadership experience ever? What's that look like? My best leadership experience, I think, is probably yet to come. But the best that I've had so far, it's a great question. I would say early on in the company that I did sell, we were able to, and this is this is less of a, a story about my own leadership, more about being able to identify leadership and i hope someone can learn from this that maybe has someone that is showing leadership qualities but early on in the staffing company that i sold last year our first contract in fact we had about 60 people working on it and there was one person in particular that just started really taking initiative bringing ideas to the table was at the same level as everyone else but was showing all this, what I would call discretionary effort without any incentive to do so. And for whatever reason, we ended up catching on to that. And this particular person went all the way from being a, a simple worker on our first contract, not even in a leadership position, to being promoted to a leader of that contract, then an operations manager, then a director of operations, and then eventually our chief operating officer over the course of a couple of years. And the only reason we were able to get him on that track and get him to that point is because he showed that discretionary effort and the, the initiative taking. So the best, that's the best leadership experience I've had in the sense that it taught me how to identify future leaders and people that have potential. And I would credit him and the, the position that he was in actually more than anything for the ability that we had to sell the company 
without a couple of us staying in it because he was managing all of the operations at that point. So he ended up staying on as part of the sale. And I really only think we were able to sell it because he was in that position. That's the uh, mic drop of all mic drops. The best leadership is <laughs> as somebody who's been on your team uh, following your lead. So love it, dude. What uh, if there was one powerful lesson, if this is the last chance to share a powerful lesson with other visionaries, what can they learn from your experience? If you want to be a visionary, I think it starts with your sweet spot. And I tell everyone that everyone in the world has at least one interest that they're more interested in than the average person or one skill that they're more skilled in than the average person. Maybe you have both. Maybe you're lucky enough to have both. But the other side of that coin, the other side of the Venn diagram of that, so to speak, is needs of the market. So things that people are willing to pay money for. And your sweet spot is where the two of those intersect, where your skill or your interest or a combination of the two actually find a place that people are willing to pay money for. And you'll build something so much more impactful and you'll put so much more effort into something that actually falls in that category because you're serving your interest, building on your skill, and you're also making money off of it and serving a market. And I think that's really the that's the area that you have to be in as a visionary to have success. Well said. All right. Um, so with with those uh, those questions under our belt, uh, moving back towards the uh, the three concepts you were talking about earlier, um, we we catch off on the third one. We have some time for it. So I I love I love the big reveal, man. Let's hear it. Yeah. So I I loved that question and the third one. So to sum up what I had said before. First one was owner concentration, the owner being too involved in their business. You can't sell a business that you don't stay in if you're too involved. Um, so, I mean, in other words, you're, you're trying to sell a glorified job when you're, we, you should be trying to sell a business. The other one is customer concentration. So being too dependent on one or a few different types of customers. And another one is just not having a consistent and profitable and repeatable customer acquisition channel. And so these are actually things pulled from about 25 different factors that I focus on. Um, and just the experiences I've had both with my myself, my own businesses, and also other businesses I consult on or have sold or helped sell. But those three are things that are absolutely gonna stop you from selling as much as you could and should sell for if you don't get them in order. So the solutions to those three in order are delegate tasks effectively and build leaders within your organization to remove the owner concentration. And then for the customer concentration, it really just comes down to finding more customers and keeping them longer. And then for the repeatable customer acquisition channels, I think it comes down to documenting what works and having people that know how to repeat them. Awesome. So if you're looking at the screen, if you're, if you're, if you're listening in, we're showing on the screen, some of the concepts, some of the, the transparency and, and, um, recipes that Brody's willing to share on his website. I know this is just the beginning, so it's cool to see that you're starting off so strong again with that, that transparency and openness about what you do, how you do it, what you're learning 
in the process. Um, if visionaries, if you want to reach out to Brody, you can of course do so on any social media channel you find him on. We'll have the, the, all of the links that are most relevant packed into the show notes on the landing page. And if you have a vision to share, um, then by all means, there's a, there's a button in the top corner that says, be our guest, um, apply, come on the show, share your vision and what you're putting out into the world. My last question for you, Brody, is if, you know, if somebody's starting a business today, um, is that the type of person that should also be engaging with you? Or is there a certain threshold, certain level they should get to, um, before reaching out? So these days, uh, the the service level that I'm doing, I start with a company that's been in operations for a few years and is doing around two hundred and fifty thousand in earnings or more because those are the that's the area of business that I'm actually able to provide the most results for, um, and those that are within the scope of a sale in the next couple of years. But as far as engaging with me, that's the reason that I put out the content that I do is because the businesses that are not quite at that stage yet need to know these things even more so than the businesses that are at that stage. And so the best way to engage as a business owner who's beginning this, uh, I'll give two book recommendations that I think can really help you out. One is $100 million Leads by Alex Hormozzi, um, his newer book. Definitely recommend offers as well. But if you already have your offer, leads is all about getting customers, keeping them longer, getting as many leads as possible. The other one is Built to Sell by John Warlow. That was massively transformative as I got into this journey. And that's all about building the type of company that can sell. Those are foundational knowledge that I think can help you a lot. And then I put out YouTube videos and short clips on so YouTube is the longer videos. And then I put out shorter clips on Instagram and TikTok about these types of concepts, little things that I'm learning along the way that have helped me or are helping clients. So if you want to follow me on there, I put out content that I think is a little bit more targeted towards people earlier in the journey. Awesome. What I, what I hear you saying too, is that those who, um, you know, haven't gotten to that qualified stage yet, um, you know, you, you're, you've built the true nurturing process, right? That's what it's called from a marketing standpoint, the nurturing campaigns that help people pre-qualify, help people get there to where they're successful, but you know your threshold of what you can provide um, and where you can do your your best services. So anybody at that stage or beyond, um, you know, you might be in a great opportunity, great, great position uh, to find out from Brody what, what he sees in terms of finding, let's call it your maximum business value. In terms of home ownership, when you're selling a home, you want to go to a realtor that's going to help you find your maximum home value. I learned that from Matt O'Neill in, in Charleston, South Carolina, Wall Street recommended realtor. Um, we got to work on his YouTube campaigns back in the day um, and he was crushing it. And that was his tagline. So if you're looking for your maximum business value, one of the best things you can do is get insight from multiple sources um, who can who can help you see what's going on, what your opportunities may look like. The sooner the better, the more negotiating power you'll have when that time comes because you'll be centered and grounded on what the realities can look like. So Brody, thank you for your time. Thank you for your dedication to what you do. And uh, everybody who's who's listening, we will see you guys all on the next episode. Take care. Thanks everybody. so much, Jackson. Appreciate you having me.
Absolutely, man. We'll see you soon. Thank you for being here today. I'm really happy that you tuned in to Vision Pros Live. I'm looking forward to seeing your reactions as these episodes continue to move forward. This is going to get more and more fun. We'll have more and more engagement as well. We'll invite people to participate in the show. And thank you for giving us your time and attention. Have an excellent 